If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 93, verse 5. Psalms chapter 93, verse 5, just one passage of scripture, and you can just remain seated for the reading of the word because you've been kind of up and down a lot this morning. But it just says, thy testimonies are very sure. How many believes that the word of God is for sure? Thy testimonies are for very sure. Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord, forever. Never ceases. It never stops to be holy. This morning I want to talk to you and look at, look at the biblical top, uh, topic of holiness. The word in itself has become a word that the church world wants to ignore and it wants to refrain from. Matter of fact, this word has almost become a byword within religious circles and it has it just completely disappeared from our vocabulary as a church. Along with the topic of the cross, holiness is one of the number one topics missing in pulpit sermons. In the 21st century, the term holiness is acquainted in the minds of people to an old-fashioned term associated with legalism. The 21st century church does not accept holiness as a New Testament concept, but they acquaint it to the Old Testament law. And as a whole, holiness is rejected by the normal congregations across America. However, we at the Palace of Praise still stand and believe that holiness is to be God's standard of living for his people. Can I have an amen in the house? And many look at churches such as ours as to be legalistic and condemning the nature because of our standard of holiness. We are at a critical intersection, not only for the nation, but also for the churches in America, when the churches begins to avoid, ignore this topic called holiness, and when it no longer believes that it is to be God's standard of living for his people, then the church is in serious trouble. The land is filled with confessing Christians who, like ancient Israel, are blind and unaware of how spiritually bankrupt that they have actually become. And many seem to see the problem with the nation, but they fail to see how acute the dilemma has become or how their lives are contributing to the very mayhem and the coming judgment upon the earth. Many are unmoved to the call of repentance, and one of the biggest reasons that they're unmoved to the call of the repentance because pulpits are not calling for it, nor are they preaching it anymore in America. There is a movement among the 21st century that is, has a tendency to what we call rationalize their sin. They seek someone else to pray for them. They do not want a house that is a house of prayer, but they want a weekly religious performance, a show-stopping Sunday event. There is little fear of God and, and a true awe-inspiring reverence toward him in our cozy daddy God world. And grace, easy grace, abundant and endless grace, cheap grace, is what is commonly desired among our culture and it has become the commodity of this 21st century church. The connection between morality and faith and immorality and judgment are virtually absolutely gone. The mainstream culture no longer views blessings associated with holiness and cursings associated with sin. The culture has lost its ability to even blush at sin. That which once was hid and in the closet now sin is no longer hid or concealed but it's right in front of the church and flaunt it in its face and in the face of God with people having no real conviction and they have absolutely no feeling of guilt whatsoever in this modern day culture the concept of sin and iniquity of subsequent judgment is absolutely dismissed and we can understand that in such a of a carnal society but even the church does not draw the line 
lines real clearly when it comes to this thing called holiness. The church is afraid of running people off if they hold to a standard of holiness. So instead, you know what they have done? They have ran off the presence of God. And as a result, we have formed a culture that is powerless and that no longer believes that God's blessings is connected to a standard of personal and co corporate moral responsibility. Therefore, there's no manifestation of the blessings of God. And people now not only live in sin and open sin, but they proudly promote their sin and simultaneously they feel to, that, like they can pray for God's blessings and favor upon their lives. They see no disconnect between the holy God to whom they pray to and the immorality that they actually foster in their heart. And yet regardless of what they want to believe, let me quickly say that sin still separates us from the presence of God and it closes the avenues of approach to the throne of God that Jesus opened by his shed blood upon Calvary. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 66 and 18 that if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not even hear us. It was John in John chapter 9 verse 31 that declared, now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a true worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. The psalmist declared in Psalms 34 and 15, he said that the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are extended unto their cry. And James, of course, put the emphasis on holiness in our prayer life and our communion and our finding favor with him by saying, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed because it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. And let me say it again. Our culture sees no disconnect between the holy God to whom they pray and the immorality that they foster in their heart. Sin, if anyone does believe in such a thing even exists anymore, has been redefined today among our culture. Instead of sin being against God and against God's holy word, in the eyes of this 21st century, sin is, the definition of sin is falling, uh, failing yourself or disappointing your friends or lacking success in some way due to a personal mistake or maybe an unproductive choice or a wrong choice that you've made. Sin is now said to be mere violation of some personal standard. Therefore, there is really no absolutes that you can go by. The culture mindset has privatized sin and its standard is set by one's old idea of what sin is by their own concept of what is right and what is wrong. It makes all sin personal and relative. In other words, sin to you may not be sin to me. You can do it and it may sin. I can do it and it won't be sin. They believe that guilt is a neurotic condition that comes by imposing an overwhelmingly harsh standard on oneself. The reason why that you feel guilt and the reason why you feel condemnation is because you just got too high of a standard for yourself and you've disappointed yourself and that's why you feel the guilt that you feel. They don't think there's anything called the conviction of God. They don't think there's anything called a, a, a conscience in man and they believe that those of us that suggest that absolute moral standards apply to everybody that we are all outdated, old-fashioned, legalistic, ignorant people that are unlightened by the modern air. As a matter of fact, they believe that we are non-modern crusaders that is cruel, that we're critical, that we're bitter, that we're judgmental, that we're uncaring, hateful, despiteful, and arrogant people that is 
joyless and that we're literally out of touch. Have you ever looked at your dad when you was a little boy and say, oh, dad, you're old-fashioned. Oh, dad, you're out of touch. Oh, dad, you're not in the groove. Oh, dad, you don't understand. Only for you to become a dad, then all too well, you begin to understand what the old man was talking about. Can I have an amen? They think that we are a people who want to control and impose our narrow viewpoint and our narrow values and our strict standards on others. And the problem is they don't see that it wasn't us that set the standard, but the standards were set by God in Scripture. That's what they don't understand. They failed to see that blessings and behavior are tied together. Matter of fact, Psalms 119 verse 1, I'm about to preach. I've just been building an introduction. Get ready. But Psalms 119 verse 1 said, blessed say blessed. How many want to be blessed? Raise your hand. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Did you hear what the psalmist said? The psalmist made it very clear that no one could or would be truly blessed if they abounded the boundaries of the law. And let me say this, that the law is not what blesses us, but it is the law that protects us from ourselves so that we can be blessed. That's what people don't understand. You take a lawless society and they're trying to defund the police and they're trying to get rid of the law. You wait to see how good that, what, good, what comes of that when that happens. Because I'm here to tell you, though the law is not there to make you happy, yet the law is there to secure your freedom and to secure your liberty by protecting you. And in the spiritual sense, the law of God is protecting you from your own self. Can I have an amen? Our text made it clear in Psalms 93 and 5. Thy testimonies are very sure. They're steadfast. Holiness becometh thy house, O Lord, forever. The psalmist made it clear that it would be only the house that keeps his testimonies, that keeps his commandments, that he would inhabit. How many want the inhabitation of the presence of God? Hang with me because the Lord's about to blow this place apart. Can I tell you, it would only be in the confinements of holiness that his presence would dwell. The church of God used to have an old statement and they just about quit preaching it and they just about quit saying it. But we always used to say that God won't dwell in unclean vessels. And I want to tell you, God will not inhabit a place that is sinful. Can I have an amen? The lack of manifestation today can only be contributed to a lack of holiness. If God's not moving, we need to check out ourselves why. Because it's not God that has moved, it is us that has moved. And you and I must understand that what Hebrews 12 and 14 says is true. Follow peace with all men and without holiness no man shall see the Lord. Can I tell you, seeing the Lord is contingent upon his holiness. This is not just talking about seeing him in heaven. This is talking about seeing him here in the here and now. Right now, this very poor moment, this very moment. How many knows that eternal life is wonderful but God wants to bless us while we're living in the land of the living. That God's promises is not only for way out there, God's promises is for now and forevermore. The God that we serve is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And what he done in the past, he will do in our present. And what he does in our present, we can guarantee he'll keep doing it within our future. And can I tell you here today that God wants to bless us overwhelmingly. God wants to manifest his presence like never before. God wants to make 
himself known. God wants to show out among his people. Can I have an amen? But in order for that to happen, there has to be a, a holiness. We've always seen, and I'm not going into the stories, but Achan, you can see where God literally withdrew his presence because of one man's sin, and they had to end up stoning him and his family. You can go out and you can see times when Israel would fail and God's presence would live. There were a time that they even took the Ark of the Covenant for presence, where, uh, the Ark of the Covenant for granted where the presence of God dwelt. And they brought it in the camp and they shouted and they went through their religious, their religious mechanics uh, and all of the enemy, the Philistines stood and they were afraid and said, what does this mean? It meant that the Ark of God had come into the camp and they thought they had victory just because they went through the mechanics of the religious systems and, and the religious traditions because the, the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God was with them, not knowing that the Philistines come down and whip them and even stole the Ark of the Covenant. You want to know why? Because God's presence and God's favor was not there because of the sin of idolatry. This is why that Matthew 5 and 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they what? Shall see God. I want to see him in the palace of praise. And I want to tell you every time that one of us line up with the presence of God and we become holy sacrifices acceptable and into his service which is our reasonable service I want you to know that he begins to have it and the more holier the church becomes the more aware the presence of God becomes and the more that we become aligned to his, his standard of holiness the more power and the more miracles that we're going to see in the house of God can I have an amen the level, of the, main, the level of the manifestation of God then within a temple, a house, or a congregation will be gauged by the level of its purity and by the level of its holiness. And remember, according to Paul, we are the temple of God. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth within you? And if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, but the temple of God is holy. Which temple you are? Now we begin to read three chapters above that and it's talking about your works and it's talking about how that some of us have wood and hay and stubble and then there's precious stones such as silver and gold and those kinds of things that we possess. And it says that we're going to be tried by fire. Everyone's going to be tried by fire. And then he said the wood and the hay and the stubble is going to be burned up but he himself shall be saved. And everybody says, oh, see, there's the eternal life that we're talking about. The wood, the hay, the stubble, though we have it, will be burned up in our lives, but we ourselves shall be saved. That's not talking about your character. That's not talking about be your behavior. That's talking about your works. There's a difference between your works and your character. There's a difference between who you are and what you do. Come on, somebody help me preach. And here we see, but, God, but Paul then says, you know what, your works are going to be tried by fire. Your wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned out. And the only thing you're going to be rewarded for is your gold and your precious stones and your silver, those kinds of things. Them's the only thing that's going to endure the fire, the test. But then he says, know ye not that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells within you. And if any man defile this temple, God shall destroy 
Can I have a, that's why the Bible tells us uh, that Paul places the standard of holiness upon God's people. That's why the Bible tells us, uh, he says, don't fear him who's able to kill body, but kill him who's able to kill the body and so when cast into hell. This is a serious message this morning. Holiness is not a suggestion. It's not, it's not an opinion or a word of encouragement, but it's a commandment of God. To see God and his glory, then man has to remain in the holiness Holiness that's imputed and imparted to him at salvation. Holiness was imputed to you by justification of faith. The Bible tells us in Romans 5 and 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That when I came to Calvary and confessed my sin and Jesus forgave me of my sin, God imputed righteousness on my behalf. He, the word justification is a judicial term where God becomes judge of your life. And he looks down and he judges you and then he justifies you just as if you've never sinned. I thank God this morning that I can stand before God with all of my past, with all of the things that I have done wrong. And through the blood of Christ being applied to my life, he has impart, uh, imputed righteousness upon my behalf. He has judged me just as if I have never sinned. Therefore, I have a holy state with God and it makes me a candidate of his holy inhabitation. Can I have an amen? But not only is uh, righteous or holiness imputed to you by justification of faith, but I want you to also know holiness was imparted to you by the regeneration of life. Titus 3 and 5 says, it's not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and by the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God not only looked down and judged me holy, but he made me holy. I like that. He imparted me and gave me the power to live out holiness. Because the Bible tells us he regenerated me by the Holy Spirit. He transformed me. He, he literally took my life and changed it. He washed me, according to the scripture, in regeneration. And he renewed me by the Holy Ghost. And the word regeneration means to be made new. I am a new creature. Isn't that what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. And behold, all things have become new. I am not only judged holy, I have become holy by the blood of Jesus Christ. Give the Lord praise for your standard of holiness. Oh, but then Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 13 through 16, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober, be awake, be a watchful. Hope to the end of the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Say obedient. It's very important. Say obedient. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. But as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And that word in all manner of conversation is a Greek term that just means in the manner in which you live. In every manner that you live, in word, in action, in belief, in thinking, in everything about you, in attitude, everything, let it be holy. And then he says in verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy for I am holy. We're not to walk in our former or our past lust, 
But you and I are to walk in holiness. And the man that walks in the spirit, he will not fulfill the lust of his flesh. There is power in holiness because it is in holiness that attracts the presence of God and the power is in the presence. The power that we feel here today, the energy that we have felt, it's not just some man's talent or some man's ability to stir you through charisma, but it is through the it's through the presence of God. That's what we have felt, the presence of the Lord. For a man or a congregation to remain in God's presence, it's required and completely necessary for him to be holy. If you want God's presence to be upon you, then be holy. That's why Psalms 119 verse 2 says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and they that seek him with their whole heart. Now notice this. Notice that holiness is not just a matter of law keeping, but it's one of orientation. To be blessed meant to seek him with your whole heart. The law reveals your need to be holy while the presence of God is what establishes that holiness. The law cannot make you holy. It only shows you the need that you need to be holy. It shows you and points you to the one to, that can make you holy. It is only the presence of God that can transform you. You cannot change yourself. You cannot just turn over a new leaf. You need an encounter with Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? This is why that Matthew 6 and 33 says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will just be added unto you. Holiness comes from a relationship within Jesus Christ. To be blessed was to, means to be a worshiper, a person of prayer, one that seeks after God, one that is seeking him with the very core of their being. To be consecrated, to be sanctified, to be a person that has been set apart for the glory of God. And then the result will be you will walk within his ways. Therefore your holiness was not produced by your works, but your works were produced due to your holiness that was grounded in your relationship within God. I love that. I do not work to become holy, but because I'm holy, I work the works of God. Amen. The Hebrew word used for blessed the blessed man was Asher. This, this word was translated at times to being happy. How many like to be happy? Come on. Somebody like to be happy around here? Amen. Somebody say, hey, cheer up. You're sour here this morning. Amen. In the Hebrew mind, they were taught that happiness and holiness was bound together. They really believed and taught that it was impossible to be happy without a life of holiness. And they also said it was impossible to be unhappy if you were holy. And can I tell you, therefore, happiness and holiness are inseparable. A blessed life, a happy life will be a holy life. And yet, on the flip side of the coin, we are taught just the very opposite in our culture today. The culture says all these do's and all these don'ts and all these rules, all these regulations, all these commandments, they stifle you and they keep you from being free and being yourself. Honey, you don't want to be yourself because you was born as a tyrant. You were born into sin. You are a sinner. And by nature, you are the children of wrath to come. Those of us that are Christians understand that the law is not there to tie a noose around my neck. The law is there to protect me so that I can have liberty and I can be free. Come on, somebody help me preach. And I'm here to tell you, I, I've been at that place where I woke up. I remember one night for my first time that I ever got drunk. 
I remember an old man put me in the back seat of a 65 Buick Wildcat along with three of his sons, and we were probably 13 years of age, something like that. And he said, boys, today I'm going to make you men. And he handed us a fifth of old charter whiskey and a can of Coors beer. And he said, now drink a shot of that whiskey. And we'd take a drink of that whiskey. He said, now chase it with that beer. And he did. That was the best thing that man could have ever done to a 13-year-old boy. Because about an hour later, I was laying on a couch, and I was like Dorothy in Kansas with the tornado, and the house was spinning. And I was spending most of my time in the, in the bathroom around the toilet throwing my guts up. And for the next two days, I was sick. I remember getting up that morning and going to my mom and dad's house, which was across the field, every five steps, uh, and syrup. Come on, somebody. If you think that's happiness, you don't know what happiness is. Come on, somebody help me preach. And all of these people that can get a fix through a needle just for a moment of time, only for it to be gone, that their lives become shambles. We got to understand that the law of God, it cannot make you holy, but it can protect you from yourself to where you can get in the presence of God by obeying that law and accepting Christ. And it is through that that you can become holy and find a life of happiness and joy in the spirit. Somebody that's a Christian that's happy, would you signify it by giving the Lord praise in this house? Amen. I'm going to preach here in a minute. Hang on. I'm still in my introduction. I'll still be in my introduction at 15 after 1. The word was also translated, this word blessed, to mean to be or to go straight on, to walk straight or to be upright. To walk straight meant to be blessed, to be happy. You want to be happy? You want to be blessed of God? Walk straight. The end then is your blessing is connected to your walk and your way. To be truly blessed requires uprightness. It, does, it requires righteousness, which means to be right with God. God's blessings then is not an object that we seek, but a way of life we seek to live. I love that. Therefore, listen to this. I'm going to go slow right here because the Lord gave me this phrase. Therefore, blessings is not what we seek after, but the blessings should seek us. They should come natural as we seek the face of God. Our prayer should not be, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, because if you are walking in holiness, you're already blessed. It shouldn't say, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. It should be, show me your glory. Give me your glory. Show me your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. Can I have an amen? Blessings should follow the believer. This is why that David said in Psalms 23 when he talks about the sheep following the great shepherd, the allegory here, they, he proclaims, due to them following the good shepherd, the sheep of his pasture, says in Psalms 23 and 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. When I walk in holiness, when I'm upright with God, I don't have to worry about being blessed. Goodness and mercy just follow after me. I can't help but be blessed. I can't help but find the goodness of God. 
Come on, somebody help. It just, it's just there. It just follows everywhere I go. Haven't you ever heard anybody say, there goes a blessed man. There goes a blessed woman. And I want to tell you, the more holier one becomes in Christ and the more surrendered and yielded he comes to the lordship of Christ, the more presence and the more manifestation and the more goodness and the more blessings compiles upon his life. Can I have an amen? Psalms 1, verse 1 through 6 says, Blessed, say blessed. You want to be blessed? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor seateth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, say delight, is in the law of the Lord, and his law does he meditate day and night. It's not a hardship. It's not, oh, it's the law. Ooh, it's the word. Uh. And then he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall also not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. If you'll look in that passage of scripture, it's talking about prosperity. It's talking about fruitfulness. It's talking about a blessed life. It's talking about a happy life. It's talking about somebody that's unmovable, unshakable. It's talking about a man that is able to stand the test of time. And what does he have in common? He's blessed because he walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. He don't sit in the seat of the scornful. He doesn't walk with sinners. Can I have an amen? He says, but the ungodly are not so, but they are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. A lot of people look at that verse and don't even know what it means. It goes back to what I talked about of either being bound or being free. Every time you come into the sanctuary this is called the courts of God. This is a courtroom if you please. If there's one thing that I want to avoid in my life is having to go to court. Amen? But yet every single Sunday, I come into this place and I come into the courts of God. I'm in his courtroom. And yet the Bible says that the sinner is not able to come in the courts of God. He's not able to stand with the saints in the house of the Lord because he's bound. He's bound by his sin. Though he may come, yet he's not going to find liberty. He's not going to find favor. He's not going to find blessings because he's bound within the heaven. That's why the Bible says whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever shall be loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But when I come in here walking uprightly, I have liberty in Christ. We as a congregation can only find the liberty and the freedom in Christ as we gather as a holy congregation. Can I have an Amen. And when you got more sin in the church than you do righteous people, you're always going to have a hindrance, an element of hindrance. You're always going to have something that always fights you or opposes you. You're always going to have war in the heavenlies, but I let a congregation come in in one mind and in one accord and in one heart and see what happens. And suddenly there's come a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them clothed in tongues as a fire and it set upon each of them and they all spoke in tongues and was filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. You want the power of the Holy Ghost? Then come into the unity of holiness. Can I have an amen? Oh, God, help me. God's blessing then is not an object that we seek, but a way of life that we seek to live. I love that. Holiness is not caused by a work that I accomplish, 
but an alignment that we get in so that we can be blessed. It is us getting into position to receive the inheritance of blessings that come from Jesus Christ's atonement. You cannot be holy outside of the atonement of Christ. And the reason why the cross is one of the number one messages not preached, to preach the cross means that you have to believe that there's only one way in order to be aligned with God. So they don't preach it. It's like what the old saints used to say, and they don't say, we don't say it around here anymore. We need to get under the spout where the glory comes out. Amen? It's all about alignment, position, and preparation for the presence of God. Where is the glory revealed? How does it come? Look at Psalms 24, verse 3 through 6. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? How many wants to ascend upward in the heavenlies? Are we not created in Christ Jesus? Are we not supposed to be in the heavenlies with him according to Ephesians chapter 2? Of course we are. We are set in the heavenlies with him. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Which is talking about the hill of blessing, the hill of, the hill of favor. Or who shall stand in his holy place? How many of you want to go beyond the veil and get into the holy of holies? How many of you want to get into the holy presence of God? You don't want to just stand on the courtroom out in the courtyard where the sacrifice is made and wonder, I wonder what's going on in there. I wonder what's taking place and being curious. I don't want to be a spectator. I want to be a participator. I don't want to just look into something. I want to dive right smack dab in it. Can I have an amen? There's too many people sitting outside of the holies of holies and they're just longing to see what's on the inside but who can stand in the who can ascend to the holy hill or who shall stand in his holy place who's going to be able to go there he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul to vanity nor sworn deceitfully he shall receive talking about receive say receive he shall receive the blessings from the lord who is it that's going to receive the blessings of the Lord? He who has not lifted up his soul into vanity. He has clean hands and a pure heart. He's the one that the blessings is commanded to come upon. And he shall receive righteousness from the God of his salvation. He's going to receive his righteousness not from what he does, but from the Lord of his salvation. Now watch this. This is the generation of them that seek him that seek thy face, O Lord. He's saying that the only way for you to become right with God is seek the face of God, to seek his presence. And then it's his, his presence that convicts you and cleanses you and washes you. It's by his spirit that we are brought into a life of holiness. The blessings of the Lord and the favor of God go together. Did you not know that? The favor of God that is sometimes translated from the Hebrew word for grace, it's very difficult to define because it's more than just love because love is unconditional. I want to tell you guys, everybody talks about grace being the unmerited favor of God. Yes, that means you're receiving something you don't, that you don't deserve. But I want to tell you, if you live in sin, God loves you unconditionally, but he still doesn't mean that he can give you favor in your unconditional state. That went over like a lead balloon. It's more than his love, since that love is unconditional. And even as believers, according to Ephesians 4 and 30, that it's possible for you and I to grieve the Holy Ghost. And matter of fact, we also know that it's possible for a lack of faith of ours to displease God by our actions, by our attitude, and by our behavior. How many's ever displeased God 
That's the first step to righteousness by confessing and admitting it. That's why James says, confess your faults one to another that you may be healed. Come on. It says that God looked favorably upon Abel because of his sacrifice, but Cain he rejected due to his sacrifice. The word favor here used to describe Abel is linked to the way that God viewed him personally. How's God viewing you this morning? When he looks down from heaven, he's looking at you. How's he viewing you? The word carries with it the idea that God, he even said, had respect for Abel and his sacrifice. God looked down and said, he's a respectable man. He's an upright man. Haven't you ever seen that about Job? He was a perfect man, one that feared God and sheweth evil. Noah was a perfect man in his generation. Have you ever heard that? And then were the people that were highly favored and blessed that God worked through. And here he said that he looked at Abel and viewed him as a respectable man. God told Moses, you have found favor with me in Exodus 33 and 12. And I love Moses' response. Look at, at verse 13 of Exodus 33. He says, if you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue find favor in yourself. Two things that Moses understood, that favor come by pleasing God. Can I have an amen? You want the favor of God? Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God and he was not. What does that mean? Oh, Enoch took a walk one day. God looked down and said, Enoch, you've pleased me so well. You're closer to my house than you are your own. I'm just going to bring you up hither. Can I have an amen? But Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. And as a result of it, God snatched him away. I want to be snatched up by God here this morning by having the testimony that I have pleased God. I want to have a sacrifice of Abel to where God can look down at the sacrifice of praise that I give him and say, you're a respectable man, therefore I can inhabit your temple. I can come and bless you, Kent. You're not bound, but you're free. You're, at, you're in freedom to receive my blessing. You see, one of the things I want you to understand, Moses also understood, Moses contributed favor upon himself by knowing God. Listen to what he said again. If you are pleased with me, oh God, teach me your ways because there's where I find favor. Teach me your ways. Isn't that what David said? Lord, I've hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's only by the protection of your law that I'm able to not be sinless. Come on, it's only knowing your law, it's only knowing your word that I'm able to remain sinless. I'm hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Come on. How many believe that the word of God is sharpened than any two-edged sword? How many believe that God, when he sends his word out, it will accomplish that which it was sent out to do, but it cannot do it if you've not breaded it in your heart? Come on. But if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor in your sight. Moses found favor at the burning bush. That's when favor came upon Moses. He ran from God. He murdered a man in Egypt. Come on. Found himself on the backside of a desert taking care of sheep. Jethro, the priest of Median's sheep, wasn't even his own sheep. And here he is on the backside of a desert and he sees a bush burn and he walks up to where the bush was at and it's on fire but it was not being consumed and a voice speaks out of it, Moses, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. 
And it was there that he took off his shoes in obedience and it was there that he had an encounter with holiness that forever changed that man's life. Some of you need to come to a burning bush this morning. Can I have an amen? The blessings of God, the favor of God comes to those that follow and obey him. And their obedience is not something conjured up by an outward fleshly determination, but it's, it is from an inward impulse of the spirit that's empowered by the fuel from a flaming devotion from those that seek him. It's not something I can just muster up. It's me consecrating myself to God. And Acts 17 and 28 says, for in him we live, we move, and we have a... It's in Christ. This is why the early apostles said in Acts 5 and 32, and we are his witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Ghost, whom God has given to them that obey him. You cannot even receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit if you're not in alignment and obedience to God. Everybody seeks for the Holy Spirit. You need to seek for purity of heart first because the Holy Spirit will not baptize until you align yourself correctly. Can I have an amen? This is why the early apostles said that. This thing of holiness does not come cheap. Neither can it be just a desire. There has to be a consecrated life. Holiness comes from Christ's atonement on the cross. Therefore, we have to die to the cross. We have to be crucified with Christ Jesus. We have to be set apart by the sanctification of the Spirit. This is why that Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 4. Further then, we beseech you, brethren. He's talking to the brethren at Thessalonica. And I exhort you by the Lord Jesus that as you have received of us how you ought to walk. He said, we have laid out commandments in how you are to walk so that you can please God so that you should abound more and more. In other words, you're not going to abound more and more until you please God and you're not going to please God until you learn how you're going to walk. He's revealing how your walk is going to determine your favor and your blessing and you abounding in God. You're not going to be able to walk in sin and abound in prosperity in the things of the Spirit. Am I teaching okay this morning? You're not going to be highly favored and blessed of God by living a life that has all kinds of weights and sins that so easily beset you. Can I have an amen? That's why it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen? And then he says in verse two, for you know what commandments we give you by the Lord Jesus. Now he's referring to the commandments. He said, the way that you are to walk is revealed in the commandments that we've given to you. We have given you the law and the law is revealing your steps and if you obey the steps, it'll lead you to a life of holiness by the favor of God and the presence of God that you'll find. It leads you to the presence of God. Look at verse three, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel into sanctification and honor, his temple, his life. He then seals the deal by reminding us that the only way to keep the commandments is by the sanctification of the spirit. It's not us living it out, it is Christ living it out through us. If we can live it out within ourselves, then Christ died on the cross in vain. I cannot live holy without a proper relationship with Christ, and I cannot have a proper relationship with Christ if I have not nailed myself to his cross, consecrated myself, sanctified him, and set apart and crucified with him. Amen. That's how I live to live holy. Now it's not me living, but it's Christ living within me. 
It is us embracing his death by dying out to him, which empowers us through sanctification of the spirit to live as he, our Savior, lived. And he said, be ye holy, for I am holy. Now, hold on. I'm going to get to the good stuff right here in just two seconds. It is not enough for us to be free from sin at salvation. Thank God that we're forgiven at salvation. But we must also be free to follow him in the sanctification of the spirit. We must be free to worship him in spirit and truth for God's sake of such to worship him. And then when we do worship him in spirit and truth, what happens? He inhabits the praises of his people. When we align ourselves up and our worship is pure and our worship is in truth and our worship is in spirit and it's not just a thing of the flesh. When it's an able sacrifice and not a Cain sacrifice. God rejected Cain's sacrifice and worship, but he accepted Abel's. And when we come in here in a holy estate, worshiping God out of a pure heart, with pure mind, with clean hands, then God begins to inhabit that vessel that praises him. Can I have an amen? It's not about what we can do, but it's about what he can do through me as I yield to the sanctification of the spirit. I'm here to tell you that there's a brewing of the spirit of God going on around here. There is a fan in the hand of a refiner and he's blowing upon the embers of the coals that remain around this church. Can I tell you? Can I tell you Isaiah 4 and verse, 20, uh, verse 42 and 3 says, a bruised reed shall he not break and a smoking flax he shall not quench. You know what that means that a bruised reed he will not break? In other words, some of you have been wounded, some of you have been bruised, you've been disappointed, you've been frustrated, and in that frustration, you have become a wounded warrior, and you're depressed, and you're oppressed, and you feel unworthy, and you have a low self-esteem, and you feel like you can't contribute anything, and you're down, and you're walling around in self-pity, and you don't have a way out, and you're wondering, I can't ever be, I can't ever match up, I'll never belong, I'm always the one at the end of the line, I'm the last pick, I'm just no good, and the enemy's beating you up, he says, hey, you've been bruised. But a bruised reed, when I look at it, I'm not going to break it. And he said, a smoking flax, I'm not going to quench. That means I'm not going to put it out. I'm not going to come by and stifle it. I'm not going to come and throw water upon it. I'm not going to despise it and walk away from it. He said, though there be no evidence of fire, though there be no evidence of a blaze, no, you may not be hot. You may be lukewarm. You may even be on the edge of coldness. But if you still got smoke, there's an amber somewhere in the midst of those ashes. Can I have an amen? And then Matthew tells us that he's got a fan in his hand and he comes by and he flames the fire of the smoking ember and he says but he destroys the chaff with unquenchable fire I'm here to tell you that the master wanted me to come by and tell somebody you may be bruised you may be hurt you may be the one that's out there that's just got a little bit of smoke but God's come by to say I'm going to revive you once again I got a fan in my hand I'm blowing upon you I'm going to bless you I'm bringing you out. I'm going to start a bomb fire all over again. Ha! 
God's just come by the palace of praise here today to look at everybody that feels like that maybe they're not a blaze of fire. He's doing you just like he did to the disciples. On that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. For out of him shall he's flood the, he's, his belly, his rivers shall flow out of his belly. And then he says, this spank he of the Holy Ghost. And then he looked upon them and he breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Ghost. You know what that word breath means? He went by and went, What's he doing? He sees the ember. He sees that little bit of hope down deep in your soul. You're not a blaze of fire, but he come to blow on it. He come to breathe on it. He come to bring life to it. He come to fill it. That's grace. That's grace. I don't know at the time of being cold and indifferent, hurt, wounded, felt like an outcast, dry, parched. Come on. Get down on your knees to try to get in the presence of God and it feels like he's a million miles away. Feel like I'm unloved, uncared for. Come on, you've been there. But I don't know at the times when I have been at rock bottom and just every once in a while, puff of smoke. God come by. Don't despise a little ember because I want to tell you something. One time I had a fire going on at my house and it went out, rain had come. I was so mad because I put the fire and I was trying to burn all this stuff up and had big old logs out there. Thanks to my son, Benjamin. He's in the tree service. He brings trees to my house. Burn that for me, daddy. I'm out there burning and that rain came. And that smoke was just barely coming out of one of those logs. Barely coming out of those logs. I thought, I'll never get that burn up. That's going to take forever. And have you ever had a big log, get it on fire, get it all charcoaled up and get it to where it's really blazing good and then a rain put it out? It's a lot harder to burn that wood for some reason. I don't know why. About 2 o'clock in the morning that morning, maybe 1 o'clock, I don't know, it's way up in the night, I went to bed and I was laying there and that wind got up like you wouldn't believe. Oh my goodness, and it started howling. And I looked out through my bedroom window and the moon, well, you could see parts of the moon through the clouds and them trees were just, I thought, is there a tornado going on? And I got up to check and make sure that, you know, me and Jenny shouldn't head for cover. I didn't know how, what was going on and I opened the back door, fire everywhere. And I'm out there at one o'clock at night with a water hose pouring water on a fire to put it out that once was put out by rain. What happened? That little smoking flax that was there. That seemed to be no problem whatsoever when that wind got to blowing all of a sudden up underneath that log, it began to get hotter and hotter 
and hotter until a blaze kicked out and then it caught the leaves, it dried the leaves out around that burn pile. And then all of a sudden I had a fire on my hands. And I'm out there one, and then Ben calls me the next morning, Daddy, I'm sorry. And I'm here to tell you that there's something going on in this church. There's a draw. Last Sunday, I seen it with my own eyes that people didn't just come to the altar, they sprinted to the altar. There's a hunger being created. There's a drawing of God to say, come to the hills of holiness. Come and let me blow a freshness upon you. Let me take that old amber that's laying there. Maybe you got a little bit of a flame, but I want to tell you, God don't want you just to have a little flame. He wants you to be a bright and fire for him. He wants a fire like you've never seen before. And I'm here to tell you that God's given an invitation to this place this morning. And he's telling this congregation, if you want the fire, come to me. Seek my face. Walk in my way. Let me blow upon you. Let me breathe upon you. Let me fan the amber. Let me fan the smoking flat. Though you be bruised, though you be hurt, though you have sinned, come and lay it at my feet. I'll not despise a broken and a contrite spirit. I will blow upon you. I will bless you. I will put you on fire again. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Some people are afraid of the fire because they know what the fire's gonna do. You know what fire does? It purifies. The only way you can become pure is not by head knowledge of the intellects, by just studying scripture by itself, though important as that is. It's a studying the scripture than obeying the scripture. Saying, God, I need an encounter. I need a touch of your presence. I need the breath of God to blow upon me. There's areas of my life that is not completely surrendered. There's areas that need work on. We all need that. And God's wanting to blow upon you this morning. And I'm inviting this congregation, run. Crave him, seek him, desire him, hunger after him. Let him be your passion here today. Put everything else aside. And say, today's my day to align myself and get under the spout where the glory comes out. Amen. Would you come to the presence of God this morning and let him rain on you. Let it fall down upon you. Say, Lord, here I am. I like what the psalmist said in Psalms 5 and 12. For the Lord will bless the righteous with favor without compassion him as a shield. He says, hey, I'm gonna bless the righteous. I'm gonna compass him about with favor like a shield. God wants to come and clothe you with favor and blessing and prosperity and fruitfulness. He wants to take your life and lift it up above the shadows. Plant your feet on higher ground. <laughs> Holy Spirit, right now, Father, there's a smoking flax right here. You're doing a work right now even as I speak, God. Let the flame of your fire begin to burn in this man's life like never before. Lord, I see the desire, I see the hunger. Now God reign upon it with your righteousness. Let the Holy Spirit move and breathe upon him and let the fires kindle, let the flame begin to burn like never before and let him be a light for the glory of Jesus Christ. Minister all over this building right now, God, as people seek your face. Pour out your Holy Ghost, rain on us. Let us see your glory, God. Oh, we're hungry. We need you, God. I need my prayer warriors to go around and start laying hands on the people. 
Come on, I don't need you praying. I need you going around laying hands on the people. There are people that are the threshold. They just need that extra nudge. They need that help to press through. Oh, Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit, right now, minister to your people. I hear the sound of abundance of rain. God, let it be so. Let it be so. Breathe on them. Breathe on them, breath of God.
just want to be with you I just want to be with you King of glory fill this place I just want to be with you I just want to be thing I have learned about the fire of God in my own life is though it be a flicker at times and as that fire builds the hotter it gets the more that fire consumes and the very own fire that I allow God to blow upon is the very fire that purifies me he'll deal with me about something today and tomorrow in prayer meeting he'll deal with me something else and each day that fire is purified and each day it's cleansing, and each day it's renewing, each day it's an emboldening something inside of me. And then by the time that a month has passed, I've gained ground over his manifestation has becoming more aware and more apparent in my life. Come on. That fire of the Holy Spirit needs to be, when it begins, you begin to see that it begins to want to somehow die out, stoke it up, get in a devotion, get in a, prayer line, get in a prayer meeting, get in a life group, get a, open the Bible, have a, have a time with the Lord, stoke that thing, and that fire will just keep burning, burning, brighter, bigger, and then it'll be big enough to where you can't even contain it, and it'll only consume you, it'll become communicable to somebody else, it'll jump over here, over to there. And then that, that, that soul will start going through the process of a, over a period of time. Then it'll become a blaze. And then you know what'll happen? It'll consume him to the point that it can't, it can't be consumed no more. Boom, it'll jump over to somebody else. And the fire just keeps spreading. And the fire keeps spreading. And then all of a sudden you've got a, a blaze going on in a church that can't be stopped. And the manifestations of God are just, wow, being poured out. Revival and awakening takes place. That's what God's wanting to do at Palace of Praise. God says, be ye holy, for I am holy. God bless you, stay around the altar as long. This is a revival right here. Stay as long as you like, but you are dismissed. If you want to, you don't have to.